Let me pray really quick. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at this, this passage, I pray that you would um, help us to understand what kindness is all about. I pray that you help us to understand how to respond in difficult situations to evil. I pray that you would teach us your ways today. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the past couple of weeks, we have been tracing the life of David. And so far, David's life has been pretty smooth. pretty good, right? He has been chosen by God, anointed uh, by Samuel to be the next king. He defeated Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, with a single stone. He has delivered the people of Israel who were paralyzed in fear. He destroyed the enemy, um, the enemy of the Philistines, the enemy of the Philistines. And because of this, uh, by the time we get to um, chapter 18, everyone is talking about David. Everyone is tweeting about David. If they had Twitter back in the day, people were probably tweeting about David, you know, hashtag our champion. Uh, People are singing songs about him. Everyone is excited about David. David is going viral at this point. And so while everyone was crazy about David, there's one man who was upset that he was getting more attention than him. And also he was worried about his throne and his name was King Saul. So King Saul, he doesn't like what's going on, so he decides to go after David. And from chapter 18, basically, to chapter 24, it's this story where Saul is just going after David time and time again. He throws a spear at David, right? While David is singing for Saul, he throws a spear. Just imagine that, right? Joe singing with his guitar, and all of a sudden, you know, someone comes up with a spear, try to kill Joe. Man, how messed up is that? Saul does this not once, not twice, but multiple times. He, uh, Saul also, um, he uses his daughter as a bait so that David would go and kill 100 Philistines. And instead, David goes out and he kills 200 Philistines. And he comes back with their foreskin. And because of that, David becomes um, Saul's son-in-law. So again, Saul fails. But then he sends assassins to kill David uh, in the morning. And so again, David escapes. But we see that Saul is after David. And that is exactly why we see David hiding in a cave today. Saul hates David with a passion. He just wants to kill David. He just wants to get rid of him. So David, he's hiding in a cave today with a couple men, um, actually 600 men, um, in the wilderness of Engedi which is an oasis located on the western shore of the Dead Sea. Even if you go today, you can kind of see this area. It's this beautiful area that is kind of hilly, but also has a lot of caves there. So it's the perfect place to hide. So he's camping out um, in that area. But somehow, this information gets leaked, right? Saul hears from his intelligence network that they have found David's location. And as soon as Saul returns from battle, battling from the Philistines, he goes right after David. Not just by himself, but he collects 3,000 men, chosen men, selected men, soldiers, elite fighting force uh, that, that could go after David. So you can kind of picture this, right? David and his men are in a cave, and they're not really in a good situation. Their location has been exposed. They are outnumbered five times, right? The people that Saul is bringing are trained soldiers, warriors, that can defeat uh, the army of David. And by the way, David's men are hiding in a cave. The moment that they get exposed, right, they're all dead meat. You know, there's nowhere to hide. 
no, there's no way out, pretty much. So they are not in a pretty good situation here. David is in a lot of trouble. But then something interesting happens in verse 3 today. And so if you have your Bible, look at verse 3. It says, he saw, came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, the ESV translation and other translations are very generous in their expression, right? Uh, Saul went to relieve himself. Basically, he went for number two, uh, right? right? He, he, he had to take care of business. Some people think that he was sleeping. Uh, well, kind of the Hebrew uh, literal kind of translation is that he covered um, his feet, with an, which is an idiom for going number two. So he draws away from the troops, right? Obviously, you're not going to bring your troops when you go to, the, to take care of business. So he's he finds this nice cave, right? If you just walk a couple feet into the cave, it's pitch dark. No one can see you, right? Um, and you have no idea who's in there. So, no, although the sound is kind of, I can't imagine, like, being in a cave, right, taking care of business. That's kind of weird. But at least no one sees you, right? So he finds the per- perfect spot. So he's alone. He goes into the cave. But notice in the middle of verse 3, it says, Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Now, out of all the caves that are there, Saul happened to pick the cave that David and his men were hiding. I mean, what are the odds? What are the odds? Can you just picture this? Like, you know, uh, David and his men, they're like hiding. Um, they, they, they're like, oh, someone's coming, someone's coming in. And then uh, Saul walks in and it's like, <clears throat> just to make sure that no one's in there, just to make sure that there's no like beast in the cave. And, and, then, and, then, and then you hear all these noises and then, and then, and then uh, David and his men are like, wait, is that Saul? What, what is he doing, right? All of a sudden, the situation has changed. Saul is now the one who is in danger. He's the one who's not in a good situation. Now, he's alone. He's away from his men, right? The cave is pitch dark. He just walked into the cave, so his eyes are not adjusted to the dark. So um, uh, David and his men, they can kind of see um, uh, maybe a little bit in the cave because they've been camping out in the cave for a little bit, but Saul, you know, he can't see a thing uh, because he just came uh, from the sunlight. So David, he's in a position, the perfect position to take Saul's life. I mean, this has been the moment um, that they've been waiting for. So when the men of David see that Saul has walked into the cave, they whisper to David in verse 4. They say, hey, David, do you believe this? No, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. And you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. In other words, they are saying, man, this is a God-given opportunity. I mean, we can't miss this. This this is our chance for revenge. We've been hiding for so long. Finally, we can end this. No, we know that you are the rightful throne, that you are the next king, that you have been anointed by God. So let's just end this, this mess, right? End it right now, and let's move on. You know, you can become king, and we can live freely. So David, he gets up, he approaches Saul very quietly. You know, Saul, at this time, he has no idea what's going on. David, he takes out his knife in a very careful manner, and he cuts a corner of Saul's royal robe. Now, this is done in such a secret way, right? David is kind of like a ninja, um, that Saul doesn't even notice a thing. He has no idea what just took place because it's pitch dark. Um, and David was, uh, has done this in such a secret manner. So instead of slicing Saul's throat, 
David spares Saul's life. Not only that, in verse 5, it says, And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David's heart is not struck because uh, he just missed an opportunity. He's not walking away saying, oh man, I should have just went for the throw. Why did I just go for this piece of clothing? Right? David's heart is heavy. It is struck because he feels guilty for dishonoring Saul's authority as a king. He feels bad because he somehow damaged Saul's reputation by taking something from the royal symbol, the royal robe. So when he returns to his men, he says in verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David still knows that he's not king yet. He knows that Saul is the one who, who God has anointed, and he is the current king. So David spares Saul's life. Not because he's afraid of getting caught, not because he has some personal tie with Saul, but because he's afraid of sinning against the Lord. No, David, at this point, he's more concerned about God than Saul. That he has such a sensitive heart that what he's worried about at this moment is not Saul, but he's worried about God. Although Saul was an unworthy king, he was still the Lord's anointed, chosen by God. Saul was a terrible king, but he was still the king of Israel. And according to the law, the Lord's anointed was not to be touched, cursed, or killed. So David knew this very well. So not only does he spare the life of Saul, but he goes in verse 7, he speaks to his men, he persuades his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. So everyone was going to go after Saul, but he says, no, 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 spare his life. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So everyone in the cave wanted to kill, kill Saul. But instead of revenge, David chooses to be obedient to God. Now, and here I think we can learn a very important lesson, um, a very important principle in life. Now, just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you should pull the trigger. Just because you have an opportunity doesn't mean you should pull the trigger. I mean, David could have easily said, you know, what are the odds? This is a God-given opportunity. He could have said, man, this must be God's will. Therefore, I'm going to just take Saul's throat. Um, I'm going to kill him. And I'm just going to move on. In the same way, there are a lot of times where we receive all these nice opportunities in life. Maybe for some of us, it's a very good job offering. It's a good position. And everything about this job is great, great salary, great benefits. I mean, you might have to work a couple times on Sundays. Maybe you have to sacrifice some time uh, that you spend with your family. Maybe you, you can't go to life group because of this position, but you say, but other than that, this is like the perfect job for me. So you say to yourself, well, this must be from God. I mean, this is so good. This is so, you know, this is so perfect that, I mean, I can't understand this. It has to be from God. I mean, who would give this type of position to me? Maybe uh, if you're single, this could be uh, how you look for a spouse or look for someone to date. You know, one day you meet someone who's your ideal height, you know, ideal type, you know, good looking, right? Um, good, good, uh, good job. Everything about him is like what you've been looking for. The only problem is that uh, spiritually he's not that mature. 
right? Uh, I mean, he's a Christian, but every now and then he'll go to church, but he's not really, you know, uh, invested in God. He doesn't understand God's design of marriage, um, but he's a good guy. He loves me. Uh, she loves me, right? We get along pretty well, and therefore you say, oh, but I'm not going to find anyone else like this. This must be from God. There are a lot of things in our life that come our way that seem very tempting, that the, the timing is so perfect that a lot of times we pull the trigger, but in reality, we're not pulling the trigger because we believe that it's God's will, but we pull the trigger because it's a good opportunity for to satisfy our needs. You know, when David and, and David's men, when they were trying to pull the trigger, of course they thought it was a great opportunity, but what was driving their heart? It wasn't, a God, it wasn't godly desires, but it was their flesh. They were mad at Saul. They hated Saul just as much as Saul hated David. So what was driving them was this, this, this hate uh, for Saul. And when the opportunity came, they were like, oh, this must be from God, so let me just slip this in. And, and they wanted to take advantage of the situation. But David says, no, 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 no. Actually, this looks like a good opportunity to fulfill my desires, but I see that if I go after uh, this man and I try to fulfill my desires, I'm actually going to sin against God. I mean, how does that work? Me following God's will, but at the same time, me sinning against God? Now, a lot of times when we make decisions, um, there are situations that seem very tempting. And by the way, I'm not saying that God can't speak through situations or circumstances. I truly believe that God leads and guides and speaks to us through our circumstances. A lot of times in the book of Acts, that's how he led uh, Paul, during his mission, missionary journey, right, he opened doors, sometimes he closed doors, situations led him to different places. I believe that is solely b- done by God. But at the same time, you have to recognize that your circumstances or your situation is not the only thing that, that, that would lead you to God's will. What's ultimate is God's word. When David saw his circumstance, when, and also that he, he compared his circumstance with God's word, he realized that something was off. So he stopped. He didn't pull the trigger. And I think a lot of times we have to be careful when we jump on certain opportunities. We have to ask the question, is this decision really honoring to God? Or am I really trying to use God to fulfill something that I really long for? Just because you have an opportunity does not mean you should pull the trigger. What should ultimately lead us in life is not our desires, not our circumstances, but it is the word of God. Despite how he f- God knew that it was sin, that, that um, God knew that sin was on the way. So instead, going after this opportunity, he, he says, no, I'm not going to go after this. He, did, he does not pull the trigger. And so look at verse 8. Afterwards, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. So rather um, cursing Saul, rather, uh, rather belittling Saul, right? Rather waving that little, little piece of, of robe that he has saying, Hey, Saul, look at what I've done. You know, when, when Saul goes to a distance, David, instead of, of, of saying something bad um, against Saul, he honors Saul by calling him my Lord, king. He says, uh, you know, he says, I'm here. Um, and also he bows down to him uh, with his face on the ground. Now, David is not 
despairing Saul's life, but he is displaying honor. That, that although Saul does not deserve any, any of this, David shows respect. He shows honor. He submits to Saul's authority. Not just by words, but through action. Now, there are many leaders and authorities in our life that we might think um, that they don't deserve our respect. Maybe it's your parents who have neglected you from when you were young. Maybe um, it's your husband who has been unfaithful to you and to God. Maybe uh, this authority has been your boss who has been constantly just, you know, been grilling you at work. Uh, maybe it could be a pastor or leader within the church that you feel like they're unqualified. Maybe it's the president of the United States, right? How, how often do we just make jokes about um, our, our authority? You know, it, it's not hard to find leaders and authorities that don't deserve any respect, but yet the Bible constantly tells, constantly tells us that we need to honor the people that God placed in our lives as our authority. Because all authority, according to Romans 13, comes from God. When we respect the authority that is placed in our life, we are respecting God's authority. Now, this does not mean we have to agree with everything that they say or do. This does not mean we can't voice our opinions or protest against them. I just think that we need to do this in, in, in the right way. Number one, we have to pray for them, right? First Timothy chapter 2 tells us that we have to constantly pray for the people who are in power, who, are, who has authority, that we have to pray that, that they would walk in the ways of God. Yeah, and not only that, we see in today's passage that when we address something, we don't do it out of hate, we don't do it out of anger, but we just do it in a very peaceful way. Look at how David voices his opinion against Saul. In verse 9, it says, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks you harm? So Saul has been checking um, his news feed a lot, right? And he, he, he's been hearing all these rumors that David is going, coming after him. And he says, David says, Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you. And it was definitely tempting, but I spared you. I said, I will not put, put out my hands against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 11, see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may now and know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. So while David, he respects Saul's authority, he's not shy about voicing his opinion. Right? He doesn't just wait until Saul, leave, Saul leaves, but he voices his opinion in a very clear manner. He proves that he is innocent. You know, notice that David is fully aware of Saul's intentions, that, that he is coming after him, not just to harm him, but to kill him. Yet this does not stop David from saying what is right and doing what is right in the eyes of God. And he says this in verse 12, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. And I don't know if you've ever been deeply wounded by someone, especially by someone that is close to you, but if you have experienced something like this, you know that this is a crazy statement. That when someone hurts you so bad, when someone doesn't even care how you feel, 
And yet, you say, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to leave this alone because I know that God will judge you. I mean, that sounds really great. But we know that it is hard to execute. Because when someone deeply hurts you, normally everything within you wants revenge. You know, in tenth, when I was in 10th grade, I was just kind of starting my walk with the Lord, and I was excited about church. Um, I didn't grow up in a strong Christian family, but you know, I was saved uh, when I was in high school. And so I was just really, really, you know, uh, uh, beginning uh, my, my journey of faith. And so every, every now and then, we would have meetings in our youth group where we would sh- do Bible study together, we would pray together. And so... One day, I walked into um, a meeting, right? And there's a couple of brothers there. There was my pastor there. Um, and then there was a brother that was really close to me. Uh, he was one of my, my uh, uh, the closest people that I had. Actually, he was closer than my, by, my biological brother, right? And this, this guy is someone I looked up to. But one day, I walked into this, um, this, this meeting, this, this um, devotion meeting, and I noticed something was off. You know, people, the moment that they saw me, they, they giggled, and they were laughing. And I was like, oh, that's strange. What's going on? And later I found out that, um, well, the person I was really close to, I shared a lot of personal information about myself, a lot of prayer requests, a lot of things that I struggled with. And what happened was that that person just spilled all my secrets. And so when I was walking in, that's, at that moment, they were actually talking about me. They were talking about, you know, the stuff that I shared on a personal level, um, I mean, I'm pretty sure they did not mean any harm. They probably thought that was funny. They probably thought that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. For me, it was a big deal. Not just because the information was leaked, but the person who leaked it. You know, so I remember as a young Christian, I was so mad, right? I was so angry. My eyes were just, just turning red. And, and, and so my, my pastor noticed that. He, he came to me um, and he told me, hey, you know, don't let the devil use you. I still remember what I said to him. I said, I know the devil tempts us, but, but right now I'm so mad that I want the devil to use me. You know, that's, how, that's how much I wanted revenge. That's how much I wanted to hurt the person that hurt me. You know, I wasn't willing to forgive that person at all. And for two weeks, my life was, was miserable. Whether I was at school, whether uh, I was at home, all I could think about is that person and how that person hurt me. And I was just feeding off of that. But for two weeks, and, and by the way, I was looking for this person. And back then, uh, we didn't have cell phones, right? You guys remember those days when I, I had a pager, but we didn't have cell phones. So it was hard to find this guy, right? Sometimes I, I walked to his house. He lived close by, but I couldn't find him. You know, I didn't want to, like, you know, go to his house at night and, and, you know, when his parents were at home. So for two weeks, I didn't meet this brother. But I wanted revenge, right? I was ready to battle, you know, physically. I mean, I I probably couldn't win, but I was ready to battle. I'd do something at least to show my frustration. But after two weeks, we went to this um, retreat. um, And and as I was praying and and worshiping the Lord, you know, I I noticed that, you know, this bitterness inside of me, that, that, that this unforgiving heart was really killing me inside that because of that, I couldn't worship. Because of that, I couldn't read God's word. Because of that, you know, I wasn't thankful about anything in life. And then I was reminded um, through the message and, and, and through the praise that night, you know, as much as that person hurt me, I did far worse to Jesus. That I hurt Jesus so many times without even knowing, without even caring. 
And then God started to restore my heart. He changed me from the inside and out. And everything changed at that moment. I mean, and it's crazy because after that, I learned that that, uh, the, the brother that I was talking about, he was actually at the same place. I didn't know he was there. Uh, and, and, and when I saw him, I just laughed. I, I made sure I expressed my, my heart and told him that, man, what you said, what you did really hurt me. But I could forgive him in a very easy manner because I realized that, that I was forgiven. But, you know, if you've been hurt by someone, you know that this is a pretty crazy statement, that everything in you wants revenge, yet David says, no, I'm not going to go after you. I'm not going to be consumed by anger. You know, I'm pretty sure David felt the same way. You know, that his boss, his king, by the way, he's the father of his best friend. And by the way, he, he's the, his father-in-law. His father-in-law is coming after his throat, right? This person wants David dead. And, and what did David deserve? Uh, what, I mean, what did David do to deserve this? You know, David, he fought Goliath on behalf of Saul. He goes uh, to war on behalf of Saul. But he sings for Saul. He plays the instruments for Saul. And what comes in return is just hate. No, David only done good for Saul, yet Saul constantly tries to kill David. You don't think David was hurt or wounded? It's not because he didn't have an insen- a sensitive heart um, or a sensitive heart to hurt. No, David was able to forgive and move on with Saul because he trusted in the Lord. He trusted that when he would display mercy to Saul, that God would be the one who would rightly judge Saul. He was not afraid of, of, of Saul anymore because he knew that God would avenge him if he needed to. No, David is focused on God rather than his wounds. A lot of times when we focus on our wounds, we are consumed by hate. But when we focus on God, we are able to forgive no, he, he, he's not, David, he's not okay with what Saul has done to him. But yet, he is confident, confident in, in the Lord that, that, he, that he is able to let go. And he says, uh, again, in verse 12, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. No, David did not respond in a manly way. He responded in a godly way. He did not respond with force. He responded with kindness. You know, we know that, that when wickedness takes place and people are coming after us, that doesn't mean we have to allow them to, dest- we have to, allow them to just destroy us and, or approve what's wrong. We know that we can keep our distance, just like David did with Saul. You know, we, we can tell Saul that, 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 that he is wrong. But in verse 14, uh, it says, um, You... Chasing after me is like chasing after a dead dog or chasing after a flea. David is making the case that, you know, Saul, you're coming after me, but it's like chasing a dead dog or a flea. I mean, what's the point of all this? No, again, he says in verse 13, in the Proverbs, the ancient says, Out of wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. So if David took matters into his own hands, he would have sinned in the process. He would have have committed murder. And we learn an important lesson that in order to make something right, we don't need to become wicked or wrong ourselves. 
that we don't have to walk the path that our enemies walk, that we can respond with kindness. So Saul goes after David. David, in return, displays kindness. Instead of evil for evil, David responds with good. And notice how Saul reacts to David's kindness. In verse 16, says this, And as soon as David has, has finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? You guys notice the change in the tone, right? And Saul lift up his voice and wept. And for a moment, we see that Saul is responding in the right way. I mean, we know that Saul is going to go after David again after this. But at this moment, it seems like Saul is kind of realizing uh, that, that he has done something wrong. And he says to David, you are more righteous than I. I mean, that's a pretty big statement, right? For you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. Verse 18, and you have declared this day how you have dwelt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. So two things happen here. First, uh, Saul acknowledges David's kindness and righteousness. You know, when we respond to evil with good, it humbles our enemies, right? It, 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 they can no longer come after us. It's like, you know, why aren't, it, why aren't you responding in the same way? No, they think about what their actions. Um, they get humbled. Uh, they, they notice that something is wrong about themselves. And second, Saul acknowledges who, David's, uh, who David is. Verse 20, it says, And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king. And this is important because the, for the very first time, King Saul acknowledges that David is going to be the next king. When David displays kindness, Saul finally submits to God's plan. He himself prophesies that David is going to be the next king, that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. So when you display kindness, when you act in the opposite spirit, when evil comes to you and you respond with good, people will notice that something different about you, that they will notice that there's something special in you. They will notice that you are disciples of Christ. Just like Saul noticed that David was God's anointed, you know, in the same way, when we display uh, the opposite spirit, people will notice that something is different about us. So here's the big idea today. When you experience hate, Notice that it's a great opportunity to extend grace. When you experience hate and people are coming after you, notice that that is a great opportunity for you to extend grace. Now, David could have taken Saul's life easily. It wasn't difficult for him. He could have easily said, I'm going to fulfill my desires. Yet, he decided to stay obedient to the Lord. He didn't go after his own desires he didn't take matters into his own hands. Instead, he trusted in the Lord and put the matter into the Lord's hands. And he responded with kindness and with grace. And because of that, Saul recognizes that David's time is coming. Now, in Matthew 5:44, it says this, But I say to you, Jesus speaking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And that's a crazy statement. But we understand that it is possible because the reality is, in this story, we're more like Saul, right? That 
the Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. The Bible tells us that all we wanted to do is just live by our own desires and do whatever we want to do. And by doing so, we have distorted God's beautiful creation, that we have destroyed God's image that's in us. Because of sin, everything is messed up. Messed up. Yet, when you see Jesus, how does he respond? He doesn't respond with anger. He doesn't respond with hate. But instead, he expresses kindness. He extends grace, hoping that we would change. This story is not just a story that tells us that we can forgive other people. It's a story that displays that we are forgiven in Christ. Do you believe that? If you do, you have the power to forgive others. When you see an opportunity, recognize that it's an opportunity not to fulfill your own desires, but it's an opportunity to display grace. Let's pray.